In the book of Acts, the book of Acts, we're going to start it in chapter 6. But before we do that, I do want to, uh, I want to point out this. This is Pastor Mike at Hungry during service pack. We encourage everyone to pack these for the pastor. He's hungry a lot. No, uh, this, is a, this is a long service survival kit is what this is. In the event that the preacher goes on long, you ain't got to worry about leaving to go get something to eat. This is a long service survival kit. No way to say it's not that either. I'll get it right here in a minute, Jeff. <laughs> so, the real deal with this. Um, I told a story several weeks, I don't know, it's probably been over a month or so, wasn't it, ago, um, about being behind a car in New York City and traveling up through, uh, through Brooklyn and all, and and watch this car that every time they got to a homeless person that was on, in the median kind of, you know, uh, looking for, for help and for handouts, every time that they, this car saw one and it stopped, and it would hand out what you see right here, something that looked a lot like this. They were Ziploc, one-gallon baggies that, uh, that had stuff in it. I could see that they had, like, granola bar. One of them I saw I definitely knew was, uh, was yogurt uh, and a spoon to eat it with, by the way and uh, some other items. And so they were items that would keep, items that would help and sustain uh, that person, right? Um, and I thought, wow, this person is prepared. Now think about that for a minute. It's one thing to say that we want to help people. It's another thing, you know, or, or we say that, you know, uh, we as Christians need to be helping those who are less fortunate. We talk about that all the time. We need to be, uh, we be, need to be the voice for those who are disenfranchised, those who are left in the you know, in the fringes, so to speak. And so it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And so Brother Jeff came up to me last, last week and he's like, he said, man, I, I thought about it. ever since you said that, it's been on my heart and on my mind uh, with him and, uh, and Brittany and Tanya. And so they decided, and they did this all on their own. So they decided to order up the items and the baggies and they've created these homeless car kits so that you can actually help others. Now listen, you can come up and you can argue with me on I think some of those people are just doing that because, listen, that's fine. I don't care. I will feed two people that can afford it if it means that I can feed a third one who can't. It's not for my job to do that. That's for God to take care of. We worry too much about that stuff. Y'all remember, I don't know if you ever remember like uh, watching these Vietnam movies. I remember in the 80s, there seemed to be a whole bunch of movies about war come out in the 80s. And uh, to the point that we, all of us menly men, teenagers would wear camouflage pants. So it was a big deal, right? And I remember having a shirt one time that said this, kill them all and let God sort them out. Anybody remember hearing something like that? Kill them all, let God sort them out. Well, I don't think God'd be happy with that. You know what I say? Feed them all and let God deal with it. I love the, I love the quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot um, was the wife of the husband who was killed down in the Amazon trying to evangelize Jesus Christ among those tribes. And you would think that after they killed him, by the way, there's a movie called End of the Spear, go watch it. You would think after they killed him that her love for those people would be very cold and that she would just go home and, and start a normal life. No. 
Elizabeth Elliot still loved those people and still worked many years in telling them about Jesus. It's not my job to sort that stuff out. Elizabeth Elliot said this, it's our job to be obedient. The results are up to God. Now, if we here at the church find some that one is, you know, trust me, we get people to come in all the time. If we find that somebody has played us for a fool and it happens, we don't go back and do it again. The Bible says for us to be as harmless as doves and wise as serpents. So if it is known, if there's a known issue and that someone has, has taken from the hard-earned money that you guys put toward the ministry here, if someone takes from that and we find out that it was taken fraudulent, we don't give it again. So I do want you to know that we do act with wisdom. But listen, it's our job to love folks. I'll love you until you ask me why. And this gives you a great opportunity that when those people are out there and they're in need, you probably don't have the money in your pocket and probably don't have much to spare. But listen, these beautiful packs right here, it doesn't cost much to make these. Now, I don't want to, they actually made 40 some of these and they have them out here and they're going to share them with you today. So take, you know, take a few for your car, but here's the deal. Don't just stop at taking these and hand them out when you see them. The whole idea is also to put your own personal note in this bag. Because not only do we want to give to them and help them, but we also want to tell them about Jesus. So take a few for your car, and this is the start of what we're doing. This is, and, and, and Brother Jeff's heart was, was burdened, and he is the one that, that kick-start this off. But we're going to continue as a practice at this church to continue to make these available for those of you who want to do that. And you know what? You may see this, and you know what? I may, uh, I may lay off a couple Starbucks coffees this month. And put that money towards some of these kits. Maybe God will move on your heart to do that. Or maybe you're a McDonald's freak and you realize that, you know what, I could pack a sandwich at work and save that bit of money and I could put that toward other people who can't eat. By the way, I like what Billy Graham said. He said, first off, you haven't begun to give an offering until you've given your tithes first. Right? Amen. So what a wonderful, isn't this wonderful? I, just, I could just sit here and stare at it for a while and just... Just wonder who might get this one. You know what I mean? Just which one, maybe along the road one day, because I, I go to a lot of other places, travel for work. Maybe I'll be in Baltimore one day, or maybe I'll be in Philly one day, and, and I'll have one of these in a car, and I'll see somebody in need, and, and I'll put a note in here from my heart. And that might be the thing that that person needed to see that day, not to glorify me, but to glorify God that somebody needed some encouragement and maybe the food was an encouragement, but maybe the note inside telling them there's a God who absolutely loves and adores him and that I love you too. Maybe that's what, I just, I wonder who will get this one. I hope you wonder too. Now I hope not only do you put a note in each one of these, my prayer is that you'll pray over them. Pray for the people you have yet to meet. Pray for opportunities. And pray that, Lord, I don't know who's going to get this one. But I pray that you use this in a mighty way for your glory, that for whoever it is that is hurting, whoever it is that has found themselves at the end of their rope, 
At the end of the way, Lord, I pray that, that this will be a catalyst that will send them searching for this Jesus that we talk about, for them to know that someone loves them so much that it would drive them and compel them to the cross, allow himself to be sent to the most worst torture you could ever imagine, all because he loves you. I pray that's what the person who gets this one will, will realize and see. Church, it's time to do what? Roll up our sleeves. We talked about that last week. It's time to roll up our sleeves. First off, I want to thank Jeff for having, uh, not only for, not, not, not just for being driven in his heart, but actually doing something. A lot of us, we have a lot of things we'd like to do, but the difference between people who are successful and people who aren't is the people who thought of it actually did it. It's time the church does something. So they have these out there. They'll be sharing them with you today after service. Just, you know, I, make sure we have, you know, make sure you leave enough for others. But uh, grab a few of these and put them in your car. But before you do, write a handwritten note in here and then pray over these. And not only just once, right, not just once, but pray over them every time you get in the car. Let that be a reminder when you get in the car and you see these in the back seat. Let it remind you to pray for those who are less fortunate and those who are hurting and those that maybe found themselves in a place they never thought they'd ever be. Because I'm going to tell you right now, on career day, homeless was not an... There wasn't a booth for that. I remember being in middle school, they used to bring the James Rumsey trailer around. Any of y'all remember that, grew up around here? The James Rumsey trailer. And they had, they had you could do brick bricklaying and computer and all that had all these different stations that you could go around just to get an idea of what kind of career you wanted homeless and hungry was not a booth in that trailer nobody sets out to do that and by the way just before you even if you think about it yes they maybe they got there through their own decisions but they didn't plan it to be that way nobody plans to be homeless or hungry and I don't care what got them that way, it doesn't matter. Because God loves all of them just like he loves you and I. Amen? Even the ones who's steeped in the worst stuff you could imagine, God loves and cares for them. And he went to the cross for them too. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Can we just do that? Father, Lord, before we come, and Lord, and start preaching your word, Lord, we just think about this moment that we have here and and Lord, we're thankful for people who are not only driven in their hearts, but also driven to physically to actually act upon that desire that you had put in their heart. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. And God, we, as we think about these bags of food, Lord, I know that there are many that are hungry. But not only are they hungry for food, but Lord, they're hungry to know somebody cares. They're hungry for having someone who will look upon them, not on the outside, but the beauty of who they are on the inside because they're made in your image just like we are. God, we pray that you give us the words that we need, Lord, as we write on these cards to put in here. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move upon our heart. Lord, that will drive us to be so gingerly and so loving. Lord, I just pray that you give us those words to write on that card, let whoever receives this bag, Lord, that it'll make a difference to them. That it may be that glimmer of hope that they need, Lord, to, to go another day.
God, I just pray that you will continue to work on our hearts. To Lord, to know that maybe these bags is just the beginning of what you're going to do, Lord, with your church, that we may be a light in this community. That we be a light, Lord, in this world that it seems, Lord, so set upon destroying itself. God, we pray that we, you use us in a mighty way, not for our glory, but, Lord, for entirely 100% your glory. Lord, I pray for the one who gets this bag. Lord, whatever their circumstance, whatever it is, that, God, that you will see them through it, that, Lord, that you will open doors of opportunity for them, Lord, that their life may change and be improved. But more than anything, Father, I pray that they see that there's a loving God who loves them. Lord, help us as we try to maybe follow up on some of the people that we meet. Lord, that we may tell them of your love and that maybe there's other things we can do to help them along the way. Lord, we do love you. Lord, and we want to be your hands and your feet. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. And we pray this, Lord, today in the name of your beautiful Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jeff, so much. And Sister and Brittany, and also Tanya, who's at home, let's continue to pray for her. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's turn this, huh? Yes. Whatever the Lord presses upon your heart, you do. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Acts this morning. By the way, I'll tell you a short story. If you ever have a chance, read the book Radical by Dr. David Platt. <clears throat> he, uh, he was talking about it in that book. He talks about his time down in, the, um, in seminary, down in... Um, uh, Louisiana, New Orleans, actually, specifically. And um, he said that they were, you know, in seminary, they, they, they would get together in groups and they were sent out to evangelize, you know, uh, the city. And, as, you know, as part of their studies there. And he said that uh, they had these different gospel tracts and stuff like that. And that's another thing, if you have something like that you want to put in there, whatever the Lord presses upon your heart, Listen, I'm sure everybody's bag will look different by the time they get done. And whatever the Lord presses upon your heart, make sure you just do, do that. Do that with everything that is in you. And if you need help getting some of that stuff and, and don't, but you feel it's what the Lord wants to do, you let me know. I actually got friends that are in Gideon's. Maybe we can get a whole slew of those, right? Uh, we'll do whatever um, you know, God puts upon our hearts. Uh, so anyway, so they had these gospel tracks. And David Platt said he would watch people go out there with these gospel tracks and hang them out. You know, and these people would like, he said they were hungry and they were tired and that track really didn't do anything. He said, so he got his group together. He's like, how much money do we have? And they got as much money. I forget how much. He, I think he put in there how much they ended up having, but it wasn't that much. But they went to Taco Bell and says, give us as many tacos as we could have, get with this money right here. As many as it'll buy, you give them to us. And uh, they went out there armed with bags of tacos. 
and they started handing out tacos. He said, when we started to feed their bellies, then they would listen to what we had to say. He said, but as long as we were just handing out tracks and stuff, they, that didn't do anything. They just almost laughed it, really, almost laughed it off, like, what's, what's that do for me? Well, you hand them some food, and they'll listen. And by the way, people do read Bibles when you give them to them. Um, Pastor, uh, they call him Pastor Mike, Mike Alvaro. Uh, and I, I got to meet him uh, through um, Brian Lovejoy, who uh, got us to go to Credo. Him and BG got us to go to Credo and um, got to meet Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike has actually been here. Uh, matter of fact, he was here right before I took over as pastor at uh, and actually did some uh, praise and worship here, and, and he's just a gifted communicator. But he actually talks about being in a hotel, and he was in the videography and all that kind of stuff as his job, and he was in the porn industry. And he sat down in a, in, in a hotel and turned the TV on and pulled the drawer open, and sure enough, there was a Gideon's Bible in there. And so he opened it up, and he started reading. He said when he got done reading, he looked up, and the credits were rolling on the movie he had rented. He never even seen a frame of that movie and that the word of God captured his heart. So God, listen, God can use you. It can use these things. Don't think that people will dismiss them. When somebody is desperate and looking for hope, they will turn to things if, if we give them opportunity to. Amen. So I could just preach on that and blunt, right? And heck with these uh, notes I got here. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. We're going to talk about another aspect of evangelism today, which is defending the faith. I forgot my handkerchief. Brother Dave is in heaven, probably. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. Hey, who am I? <laughs> hey, I can make fun of him because I love him. <laughs> if you want to make fun of him, you got to love him too. <laughs> the love comes first before the making fun part, right? Thank you, brother. Y'all might want to turn your ears off on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Now I got to make sure I don't wipe my mouth with that one. It'd be all right. That's what your sleeves are made for. Amen. Acts chapter 6, we're going to read verses 8 through 15. If you would, stand to your feet. We like to stand to honor uh, God with the, in the reading of His Word by standing for it. We're going to start at verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 15. It's also in your bulletin. It's also on the app. And it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, uh, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. I love this verse next, though. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Now this would have been likely the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses who said, 
This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for the word that you've given us, Lord, that we could, Lord, that we have access to it 24-7. We're so thankful. God, we just pray today, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, that our hearts will be ready, uh, Lord, to receive your word. Father, we pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord, Father, today would be the day they realize that they need you. Father, we love you. We thank you, uh, Lord, for all things. Lord, even those things which sometimes don't taste good, but Lord, we know that they are good. And Father, we ask you today, Lord, to give us the wisdom we need, uh, Lord, to be able to speak like Stephen, and the courage also, Lord, to stand as he stood. And we pray this, Lord, in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I was going to pray that we'd all have like the face of like an angel, but I realized that when I looked in the mirror this morning, that that'd be a whole lot to ask for. <laughs> now, Sal, when she smiles, that's the face of an angel. And so we read here in Acts chapter 6, this account of Stephen that's out here doing these great things. Now, who was Stephen? So you have to go back earlier in the, uh, in the chapter through uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, really kind of lays out how Stephen ended up in this position of who he was. You see, in, in Acts chapter 6, it starts off that there was this uh, dispute that arose uh, by some of the Jews, uh, the Hellenists, uh, a sect of Jews, that were saying that um, their widows were not being attended to as well as some of the others, right? So basically, they, they were saying that the distribution of the resources of the church were not being uh, spread out evenly, if you will, among all those who had need, right? And so uh, the, the, the apostles and the disciples, they were, they're like, you know, uh, this all good and stuff, but we really, we don't want to be taken away from the preaching and the study of God's word and, right, and trying to reach others uh, for Christ. They didn't want to be taken away from that. So they said, you know what, let's choose seven among us men of good report and things like this. Let's choose some, some upstanding men that will, that will do this role so that we can continue doing what we do. And to this day, we still, we still use that setup, right, that, that happened here in the early church. And this is when we first see the office of the deacon come into play. And so Stephen was one of those who was chosen. It said that he did wonderful things. He was a man, it actually says in that passage uh, earlier, it says he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So what's unique about this, when we start looking at Stephen and his defense as he's been taken before the council, I want you to realize that Stephen wasn't a pastor or a preacher. Think about it. Right? It's one thing for us when we talk about Paul and Peter and those guys that were out here preaching, uh, doing wonderful things. But this was, this was, if you will, an ordinary guy who was full of faith and filled with the Spirit uh, and was driven to do great things because he loved God. It was not an office of preaching that he held. And so here he is. He's chosen as one of the seven to help the church and to make sure the needs of the church were met. He was chosen to serve 
the body of believers. Not serve in a matter of worship, but serve in the, literally in the sense of distributing food and things like that. Distributing resources. Things that, that deacons, deacons are, the office of a deacon is to take care of the church and the people of it and to, to make sure that they get cared for and make sure that nobody's left out and things like that. And so Stephen was one of these guys. The thing is, is Stephen went around doing wonderful things, right? In verse 8, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing wonders, great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen, in his office of serving, right, uh, serving others, matter of fact, the disciples actually said something to the effect of, you know, we don't want to be taken away from, you know, from the word by the serving of tables. Meaning that we don't want to be here handing out food stuff when we got, you know, we need to be out here preaching. We need to be out reaching people for Jesus. So we need some other folks to take care of this. So here's Stephen, while he's working the tables, so to speak, while he's making sure that the people are cared for, he's doing absolutely wonderful things. And I want you to understand that today. That listen, you don't have to call to be an apostle, a pastor, but God can use you in a matter of doing service for others. He can use you in mighty ways. I'm, I wonder what it was like to be around Stephen when he was there, maybe distributing food. Maybe, maybe he was, you know, uh, taking some stuff over to a family in need or doing something like that. And, and, you know, and just by chance that he rose upon an occasion. And I'm sure Stephen would probably be sharing his faith or doing something like that. We see not only him do it, but we also see later on that Philip, who was also one of those chosen, doing great things and leading others to Jesus, even though he wasn't a preacher either. Matter of fact, you go on and read an actual talks about Philip and the Ethiopia. Right? So we don't have to be preachers to spread the word of Christ and to lead others to Jesus. And the simple fact is, is God can use our service. When we start doing things for others, he can use that in a mighty way. And that we can also be a part of great wondrous things when we do it for Christ and for him alone. And so this Stephen was, was just a, a wonderful person, uh, and he was a wonderful follower of Christ. And he was dedicated, he was faithful, and he was full of spirit. And guess what? The people who did not follow Jesus, boy, they didn't like it at all. They got mad at him. And so now we see that he's been drugged off and he's been taken to the council. By the way, it talks about some of those people who are a part of this dragging Stephen off. It says, the synagogue of the freedmen. That may not mean anything to you. And there's some things, that we, we don't know that much about it, but uh, some, uh, some theologians say that, you know, it's likely that the Apostle Paul himself belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen. Because most likely it, it was probably some of the Jews that had, that had either purchased or bought uh, their, their Roman citizenship just as Paul had. Right, they've been freed uh, from the bondage of Rome through either you know, purchased uh, citizenship or things like that. And so that's likely what this means. And we know that Paul does come into the picture here because Paul is going to be one who actually witnesses and gives the okay for what happens to Stephen after he gives his defense. And we'll get there. And so they, these people who opposed him 
They opposed Christ. And I want you to understand that these people that opposed Stephen first opposed Jesus. And that's important for us to understand because I'm going to tell you, the world is going to get worse and worse as things go on. And if you haven't figured it out yet, they don't like the story of the gospel. They don't like the message of Jesus Christ. They don't like the fact of there being a central God uh, who says that we must be totally devoted to him and that he must be first in our lives and that everything we do must have him at the center of it. They don't want to hear that story because not only that is there's moral standards that come along uh, with serving God and Him as the center of their life. And there's two things that the world does not want to hear and is that they are not the center of their life and how dare you tell me there are things that I cannot do. Amen? That's the world today. That's who we live in. So listen, understand this. Jesus said they hated me, they'll also hate you. But I realize today, as you should as well, they hated Jesus first. Amen? Now, by the way, if you're, if you're considered in the group that, that hated Jesus and they also hate you, doesn't that put you in good company? You know what I'm saying? That puts you in good company. Don't you like being a, don't you like being a part of, of something that is good? Don't you like being in the company of us? Listen, if you don't think people like being in the company of others, then listen, then how in the world do clubs get started? Amen? Clubs get started because people think alike, they want to be alike, and they want to know that they're involved in something that is bigger than themselves. That's why kids get into gangs. That's why bikers get into bike gangs. That is why people join groups, the mooses and the mises and everything in between. People want to belong to something. If we belong to Jesus... We have everything. And wouldn't it be good if they hated him, that they now hate me? I'm in good company. Amen. What about you? Now, they opposed him. And the Bible says here that they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. It said his face was like the face of an angel. It's hard to oppose an angel. You ever seen somebody like, that person just looks angelic. I hate him. It's kind of like Doc Holliday. Big nose Kate looked at Doc Holliday. And standing before him was Johnny Ringo. He says, What do you think, darling? Should I hate him? You have no reason to hate him. And then he says this Latin, this phrase, and then Johnny Ringo speaks back in Latin. And Doc Holliday says to Big Nose Kate in front of everybody, This is a tombstone movie, in case you don't know where I'm going with this, right? It's, it, it's, it's required, it's required uh, watching. To be a part of Heritage Church, right? You gotta, you gotta know this movie. You don't know where half my lines come from. He says, Look, darling, Johnny Ringo's an educated man. Now I really hate him. You know, a lot of people will hate you for a simple fact that you stand for something. It could, it, it's not that you did anything, it's not that you did anything at all wrong to them. Matter of fact, maybe all they'll ever see out of you is good. All they saw out of Stephen was good things. Why did they hate him? Because his message was not what they wanted to hear, and that was enough. They were looking at a face that looked like the face of an angel. And still yet, they hated him. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit that was upon him. So listen, so they got to the point where they secretly instigated and had men who lied and said that they heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Blasphemous means, you know, anything that is bad against God. 
that he would have spoke uh, uh, lies or, or things that degraded God in any way. Remember that the Jews, God was so holy that they wouldn't even say his, you know, his rightful name, Yahweh. They wouldn't do it. And when they wrote it, they wouldn't even put the vowels in there. So they're like, he spoke again. Here's the thing. Think about what's happening here, though. They are, they, they are lying, which God says we're not supposed to lie. And they're saying that this person said blasphemous things against God when the fact was is that Stephen was operating with leadership of the Holy Spirit. So now who's blaspheming who? You ever thought about it that way? Who's the real one doing the blasphemy? They are lying about the work that the Holy Spirit is doing through one of God's children, Stephen. They're, telling, they're, they're lying, saying that he was blasphemed, but by doing that, they're lying about the work of the Holy Spirit, who is part of the Godhead, so you get the idea. Isn't that just kind of ironic? Does the world still today not get angry at some people for doing things, and they'll break the very laws that they accuse you of? But they don't want to talk about that. We've seen that play out in politics the last, well, for a long time now. Let's face it. We find something that somebody does that we don't like, we'll harp on it, and you only find out a couple months later, secretly, the person that, that was yelling the last was doing it too. They just didn't think that you'd have proof of it. It's funny and, and ironic and how, uh, you know, how just big of a hypocrite the world is in that, that they will accuse you of things that they do themselves. Let me give you an example. The liberals will say that we're intolerant of things like homosexual lifestyle. And they'll claim you guys are intolerant, you're haters. But yet, if there's anyone that's intolerant, it would be the liberals because they will accept anything except the message of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that hypocrisy at its core? You've got to love and accept, love and accept. And we will love and accept everybody except for you because you don't love and accept in the way that we think you do because your love actually comes with the truth and the truth is that there are things that God detests. And if I truly love you, I'll give you the truth in order that you may be rescued from your sin and the result of your sin. So isn't that hypocrisy in its most blatant form that we see today, is we're, we're yelled at and we say that we're intolerant and that we don't care about people. I've been told that having a pro-life stance that I hate women and I want to control their bodies. And I said, you know what? You don't realize how, what a big liar you are. They said, why? Because you don't follow my life. And if you did, you would see that my actions... And the things that I do and the things that I preach are exactly the opposite of what you're saying right now. Now listen, you got to watch how you say this next thing. I love all women. you got to watch how you say that. You know what I'm saying? I love all people. And that includes women. And the last thing I want to do is control anybody. Matter of fact, I want to help people. We want to help those who are in trouble and those who are maybe struggling with, with pregnancy and things like that. The fact is, is they say that they level an accusation at zero basis to it. Zero. And that's exactly what they accuse us of. 
hypocrisy. It's the world. It's not going to change until this world is no more. And I think that's something that we need to make sure we understand. By the way, there was laws against blasphemy. Leviticus 24, 16 says, Whoever blasphemes, the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, they shall be put to death. Now, what's interesting here was that the sojourner, right? The Bible talks about that. Uh, we see God give laws about the sojourner that they are to be cared for and taken care of. But listen, if the sojourner comes and the sojourner is going to be a part uh, you know, uh, of your community, then the sojourner had to live according to the same laws as those were, right? Because it says here that, listen, whoever blasphemes, whether sojourner or native, if they do this, they'll be put to death. I find that interesting, don't you? Now, we go over to Deuteronomy. We see that there was also laws against false witness. What's interesting about this, well, let me just read it to you. Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 through 21, it says, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, listen to verse 19, then you shall do to him as he has meant to do to his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit such any evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity, and it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You get the idea, right? Isn't that interesting that it says here that there's laws against blasphemy? We knew that. But it also there's law against being a false witness. And if you bear false witness, then it shall be done to you what you were trying to get done to your brother. And so here we see those. Listen, we're talking about the Sanhedrin. Stephen is taken before the Sanhedrin. And this is being done by the, by the highest of the high when it comes to religious people. We're not talking about the everyday synagogue goer here. I'm talking about the people in high places. I'm talking about the same people who leveled blasphemous allegations against Jesus Christ. They are now doing it to Stephen. And so there's a couple points we want to make sure that we hit before we go any further. First of all, this point number one, the world will stop at nothing to destroy even the soundest wisdom if it does not fit their narrative or sinful desire for power. And let's all face it, it's a power play. I'm not just talking about Washington, D.C. You're getting political. No, I'm talking about, I don't care who it is. It's always about having power over others. It's always about wanting to be the center and being God in yourself. By the way, the people who tell stories like that, right, the... the um, Oprah Winfrey's of the world, we're all God. No, those who follow Christ become the sons and daughters of God, but we ourselves are not God. There are other people that will also preach a false narrative saying, well, we serve big God, that makes us little G-gods. No, we are not gods. We are the redeemed and the elect of Jesus Christ. God's will will reign supreme. By the way, if you actually, I thought this is, you know, I, I was thinking through this whole thing that we saw, this election cycle, I find this interesting, but, but you look through the scriptures, if someone says that something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, do you know what that person's called in the scripture? A false prophet, right? And a liar, or in the words of my lovely father, a lar. 
I don't know what it is about West Virginia, but we take extra, we take, hey, listen, there's no room for extra letters in our language. I don't, we don't, liar doesn't need to be a two-syllable word when we can make it a one-syllable word. Take the I out and you're a lar. It's all about efficiency, folks. It's all about efficiency. There's no sense in having them extra syllables in there. Just be a lar. But if we claim that something's going to happen, if we claim to have knowledge of the future and we say that something's going to happen and we stand upon it and it does not happen, we're a false prophet. And listen, I think just that alone ought to be something that we file back in the old memory bank for when we see people who claim to know Jesus and claim to be following him and then make false claims that never occur. I don't want to follow a, follow a false prophet, and I don't think you should either. Number two is this. The world will even secretly break the very laws they accuse you of if you are one who speaks out against them. You know what that means? As we continue in this world that we're living in, things are going to get worse and worse. Don't be surprised if they don't accuse you of the very things that they're doing, but they try to get the backing of the world so that it's you against them. So we should not be surprised when people level accusations about things they are doing themselves. But you're the one that they want to draw the attention to. Number three is this. You don't have to be guilty to be cast in prison. Amen? You don't have to be guilty to be cast in prison. How many times do we see Paul? And, all right, Paul was thrown in prison. Paul actually was, was well, he was on house arrest the last few years of his life, but he was cast in prison for defending his faith and that alone. Paul had done nothing wrong. And we have to understand that you don't have to be guilty to be thrown in prison. That will occur as we see life uh, get worse and worse here. It's going to be like it is in already in other countries where it's illegal to preach the gospel, where it's illegal to talk about Jesus in those countries. It could cost you your life. And I'm telling you right now, if you say you're going to stand for Jesus, are you serious about it? Because there's going to come a day, and I believe it's a lot closer than we think, there's going to come a day where speaking out for Him can cost you your life. And I'm asking you today, church, are you ready to stand up and give a defense, amen, for your faith and stand willingly and with pride, not the kind of pride that tears men down and makes them do stupid stuff. I'm talking about with a godly pride that, listen, that I love Jesus and what he did on the cross for me so much that I'm willing to stand here even though that it'll cost me my life. Why? Because he first loved me. With a godly pride, proud of the love that our Savior had so much that he would not only die for me, but he'd die for you too. He would even die, for, and he did die for the ones who drove the nails. Amen? Are you willing to stand? Realize you don't have to be guilty to be thrown into prison. You're going to see this come along as time goes on. Well, you've been talking a lot about that lately, Pastor. Yes, because I'm telling you, I feel heavy with it. What I mean by that is I feel heavy as a pastor and leader among the church to make sure that we're prepared. That we're prepared for what's coming. By the way, it has nothing to do with the election. This is going to happen regardless. I ain't been sweating that thing the whole time. Why? Because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. God already knows what it is. His will is going to be forwarded no matter what we want. And the real matter is this. You ever thought about this? How come, how come the church 
is shrinking in the United States where it's free for us to worship as we see fit? How come the church is shrinking in the United States of America, but growing by double-digit percentages in countries where it is illegal to worship Jesus? Where it is illegal to hold an open service. They have to meet in secret. How come those churches are growing by double-digit percentages, and we, who have the freedom to worship as we choose, are shrinking year by year? Explain that to me. Riddle me that, Batman. Well, we already know what the issue is is that sometimes we're so blessed that we forget who did the blessing. Sometimes we can be blessed beyond the point to where we forget who gave it to us. And we start to think that we had something to do with it. By the way, I also say this. Sometimes hardship, and we see this all through the scripture, that hardship will cause men and women to think, and to really start consider things. Sometimes it takes hardship for us to realize that we were broken all along. And how do we come to Christ? We have to come broken. We need a Savior when we realize we need a Savior. Amen? Now, we've been in need of Him. I, I probably said that backwards or not really how I wanted to say it. But we won't realize we need a Savior until we realize we're broken. And we won't seek a Savior until we get to that point. And maybe, maybe that's what we need more than anything. Maybe we need conditions that will start to make us see things differently in this country that we live in. I'm not wishing for anything bad to happen to anyone. But I'm just saying, in the scriptures, when you look at God's interaction with Israel, we see this in the Old Testament, right? Right? God would bless, and then they start doing what? They had it so good, now they started worshiping other gods. And then God would say, listen, you better cut it out. If you don't think America worships other gods, you've lost your mind. We worship gods that are money, things. Right? That's what we worship in America, whoever's got the biggest toys. And we see Israel, they would have, things would be going great, then they do what? They start worshiping other gods. And God said, cut it out. Cut it out or it's going to hurt. They wouldn't cut it out, so what happened? Now they're down in the valley again. Why? Because God had to take some things away from them to get their attention to the point that they'd say, oh, man, we messed up. And now they would turn back to God. We see it all through the Scripture. So what I am saying is, is not anything that you're not going to see in the Scriptures. Now let's continue to go forward. So Stephen's taken. They don't like, they hate him. He's, got to, he, he's done signs and wonders. He speaks with wisdom that which they can't even withstand, and they just hate him for it. And so now we see in chapter 7, in chapter 7, starting in verse 1, it says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And then verse 2 says, And Stephen said. And now it's going to be Stephen's defense. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an assigned reading project today. Write this down. There'll be a test next week. I want you to read Stephen's defense. Because I'm not going to read it to you today. Stephen's defense, if you study it, and when I say study it, don't just read it. Look for commentaries. You can go online, by the way, and you can find commentaries. I will give you a website. Go to blueletterbible.org. BlueLetterBible.org, it's free. 
Type in Acts chapter 7. Just put Acts 7 in the search bar. And it'll bring up the chapter and the verses and you'll see tools, this little blue bar. That's what it's called, Blue Letter Bible. If you click on that, it'll actually pop up and it'll t- you can look at other, uh, other translations. And there's one that says commentaries on there. You can listen to commentaries. If you don't want to read, you can listen to them. There are audio files and there are also written commentaries that you can read. So I'll just give you a free resource. But I want you to read Stephen's defense, which is verses 2 through 53. Why, get, why aren't you going to read it today? I can, but I promise you, you will not be out of here until breakfast tomorrow. So I'm going, to, I'm going to do you a solid today. I'm going to let you read it at home. Where you can eat a bologna sandwich and not be mad at the pastor. Because I got bigger fish to fry. You see, Stephen gives, gives a defense. And this is why I want you to study it. Stephen gives a defense that fits, well, it fits the occasion. You see, if I spent that time reading Stephen's defense, there's a lot of things I'd have to point out to you. Stephen is speaking to Jews. So guess where Stephen starts his defense? Abraham. Why? Because Abraham, they considered their father. Everybody get the idea? He starts at Abraham and he works through. And so that's why I want you to read it, because it fits the time. I want you to think about who Stephen's talking to. I want you to think about what Stephen says and how he concludes it. Why? Because you need to start getting serious about defending your faith. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning. See, your defense is going to be different. We live in a different time. Yes, it's the same scripture, and we need to use scripture, and I'll give you some points about that. But I'm going to tell you right now that if you're talking to someone who wasn't raised, uh, who reading the Bible, and they say, why do you believe in God? Well, let's go back to Abraham. They'll be like, what is wrong with you? Abraham, what's he got to do with it? Right? They, they, they won't understand that. And so you have to think about, you know, who is it today that I have influence among? Who is it today that I work with? And, and, and start to think about the things people have said and start to think about how you can defend your faith and your reason for believing in Jesus Christ through the people who are around you that live in this time and age. Now, if I was going to talk to a Jew, I probably would start at Abraham, just like Stephen did. But if you're talking to somebody else that's different, that maybe, maybe was raised in church, maybe not, then you've got to think and seriously consider and also ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. And we'll get to that a little bit deeper. So I want you to read Stephen's defense. There'll be a test next week. Not really, but you should have saw your faces. Now, let's go down to verse 52, though. I want to read verse 52. Verse 52 says this on chapter 7. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Now think about this. Remember he walked them down through Abraham and to Moses. And he gets down to here and he says this. Which, which, which one of the prophets did you not give a hard time? Who was it that delivered the truth that you didn't like that you didn't fight against? I mean, think about Isaiah. They, they, they came up against Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these wonderful prophets, and a lot of them died horrible deaths. Why? Because the people got mad at them. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. And they would do despicable things to try to hurt them. I think about Elijah when he, had to, when he spoke up against the prophets uh, of, uh, of Baal. 
and the prophets of the grove there when uh, Jezebel was in the picture. And it was just one man, Elijah by himself. And he said, I'm going to go back and read the story. He says, y'all build an altar and a sacrifice and I'll do the same thing. And y'all pray to your God to bring down the fire. You provide, you provide the sacrifice and the altar, but the fire's got to come from your God and I'll do the same. They prayed all day and all day. They started jumping up and down, cutting themselves. And Elijah yells out, hey, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe yell a little louder. That dude was brave. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about over 800 people there. Elijah by himself. Maybe he's in a bathroom. Maybe he didn't get his attention. And they prayed that much harder, jumping up and down, cutting themselves, doing all this crazy stuff. Well, finally, they, were, they wore themselves out, no fire from their God. Why? Because their God wasn't real. He wasn't alive anyway. Then Elijah go, takes it. He gets buckets of water. He not only had his altar and stuff built, he doused it with water. And then he prayed a simple prayer that took less than one minute and God sent down the fire and consumed, the Bible says, that sacrifice and lapped up even the water. God can do great things. But he's pointing out to them, all the other prophets that came before you, you persecuted them too. It says then, it says, and, and killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murder. He started Abraham and brought it all the way and he showed them where they fell short and even now you killed the one that they spoke about. Imagine, well, we'll see what happened to him. Stephen gave this intellectual, spirit-filled defense for his faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Intellectual and spirit-filled. Now, I can tell you, when I first started preaching, I was a lot of hack and not much, uh, you know, sustenance. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was still learning to study, and I remember I started preaching, so if you don't know a whole lot, just say it louder, amen? I had to do something. And so I can tell you that when I first started, I was a whole lot of emotion and just a little bit of substance. But then as I really started to get into God's Word, and I realized that there's so much here to learn. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you right now, even the most complex uh, thinker and even the smartest person in the world could read that Bible and still will never get to the bottom of the depth. It's that deep that you'll never reach bottom. And then I realized that, man, I need to be more intellectual about truly knowing the Word of God and understanding what it's saying. So I went from being real emotional into being more intellectual, and, and it really kind of changed the dynamic of my preaching. But now I'm at the point where I feel like I'm both, amen? Listen, I'm more intellectual, and I know more about God than I did 20 years ago when I started this thing, but I'm more excited about it too, amen? Why? Because the more I learn about God, and the more I learn about His love, and the more I realize that His mercies, listen, I needed them so much, He shows me mercy and love every day, not because I deserve it, but because I am made in His image, and He loves me me just because. When I realized that God doesn't need me, He just wants me. Amen. It changed my way of thinking. I used to think that, that God needed Christians. That, listen, they, they, and sometimes you'll hear people, God up there, He's lonely without you. Listen, when I realized that I got into the Word, I realized that God is self-sufficient. He does not need me. He does not need you. He can do what He wills. He is God. Amen. But listen, when I realized that He wants me simply because He loves me.
Man, listen, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet and you're out of matches. Amen. So now I feel like I'm both. I feel like I'm slightly intellectual and I'm still real excited because the Spirit will do that to you. The Spirit will help guide you intellectually as you read His Word. But listen, as you read His Word, it'll grab your heart. I can't tell you the time Sal and I have sat on the couch and she'll say, honey, listen to this. And she'll read me something from God's Word. I could just see on her face she's excited. And then sometimes it'll be me. Oh, honey, listen to this. It's a wonder she sits through my sermons. She knows half of it by the time she walks in here and begins the service anyway. Because I'll be like, honey, listen to this. Listen, the more you read, the deeper you get, the more you'll love him, and the more exciting it is to be a Christian. Stephen gave an intellectual, spirit-filled defense. And listen, we are called to be ready to give a defense any time that we are challenged about our faith in Jesus Christ. Think about that. This is what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is found in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Do you see what he says here? Listen, be ready to give a defense, but make sure you do it with gentleness and kindness, exactly as Jesus would did or Jesus did when he was here on this earth. I think about him going to the to, to the house of the tax collectors. Remember the, the Pharisees got on. Why are you going to the house of sinners? Because those are the people that need him. That's why. Listen, we need to go. I can tell you right now, uh, sinners are not just going to come flock to you. You know, a lot of times people think that evangelizing is just inviting people to church. No, it's going out here and being the hands and feet of Jesus and showing them where they're at that Jesus loves them. They need to see that before they'll come in here. Amen. But it says to be ready to give a defense. Are you ready to give defense? I'm not talking. Listen, I mean a good defense. And that's why I want you to read a defense of Stephen. See how wonderful it's laid out. And see how articulate he is in presenting his defense for following Jesus Christ. And listen, that I want to challenge you to do as well. I want you to think about what is your defense of your belief in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I want to take a couple lines out of your playbook and throw them away. Your, your, your defense for following Jesus can't be you just got to believe. Throw that one out. Well, why? Because if somebody doesn't have faith, you're telling them to have faith, and they don't have faith. They can't have what they don't have. They need to know that there's something there to grab onto that is worth having faith. So just saying you got to believe, throw that one out. Because the Bible says so, toss it out. I, you thought I, you, I know what you're thinking. Huff's gone mad. I'm not saying don't use the Bible, but listen, what if they don't believe the Bible is real? 
Do you, re- do you realize today that there's a studies out that show that there are people who claim to be evangelical that don't even believe that the Bible is the inerred, inspired word of God that is 100% accurate with zero, right? Zero errors or contradictions. Do you realize there are people who claim to be evangelical that do not believe that? That they believe the Bible was written by men, some of what they saw, some things they experienced, and that in itself it's flawed, but yet God's still God. The Bible being flawed in no way stops God from being God. So you can believe in him, but that word, it's just a good basis to go on, but it's not entirely accurate. So my friends, let me ask you this. If that were really the case, what part is not accurate? The part where he says, Jesus loves me? The part where it says he's coming back to rule in the reign? Or he's coming back to judge? What part is not there? The part where he says that if I'm sick, I can go to him? What part is inaccurate? You see, if I don't believe that the Bible is entirely true, then what part is inaccurate? Because maybe the parts that I really want to believe, well, maybe that's the part that's wrong. Do you realize how dangerous it is to even say anything like that? First off, it's blasphemous because the Bible is entirely accurate. It is without error or contradiction. Now, there are translations where, I know there are translations where people misspelled words. That's man's, but listen, the word that was inspired, that was given to us is 100% accurate. By the way, I believe that does also apply to the translations as well. I believe that the translation that God, in his word that he handed down, knew that he was handing it down in three languages. It's written in, in a combination of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And he knew that those, tra- those, tra- those languages would need to be translated for the rest of the world. I believe he, you know, God knows that because he's God. And I believe that he has also blessed the translations that we use. Amen? I don't believe that there is one particular translation that is the only anointed translation and all the others fall short. I do not believe that. You will also see people that go out here and nitpick translations and they'll say that this one's missing a verse or that one's missing a verse. You have to understand translations and why you think that is so. If you study of why translations are the way they are, how some of them are word for word, literal translations, some of them are paraphrased, they all have a purpose. God can use each and every one of them. Amen. So I do not go out here and hold to the teaching that there is only one one version of the Bible. Because listen, by the way, that one version of the Bible, I guess, would only be good for English-speaking people. Because that's, and I've had that argument. Those people that, you know, they want to claim that King James is the only anointed. Listen, then I guess God only wants to reach people in English. Because King James Version is the English translation. I've challenged them. I said, like, what about people that live in other parts of the world that speak a different language? What about them? Well, they'll have to translate the King James. But then it's not the King James. You get where that errors, right? Now, I like the ESV, but there's other translations. But if I don't believe that this is 100% accurate and without error, then what am I doing? What parts do I believe and which ones do I throw out? So listen, when we tell people, we tell people, well, the Bible says, I want you to understand you can't just say, well, because the Bible says so. You've got to toss that out of your mind. 
Now, listen, will I use the Bible? Yes. But I sometimes will have to start off saying, listen, first off, I, I got to make sure you understand. I don't know how much you know about Jesus or how much you know about the Bible, but I believe the Bible is entirely accurate. I want you to understand there's translations. It wasn't written in English. And I talk about the, inspi the inspiration that God gave where he used men to do the authoring, but it was God that gave them through the work of the Holy Spirit and pressed upon them to write these things down. And so because God did that through the work of the Holy Spirit, it's as if God said it himself. And so therefore we call this the inspired, infallible word of God. And sometimes you got to go that before you can go anywhere else, folks. You see where I'm getting with this? Stephen gave an intellectual, spirit-filled defense for his faith. And I'm challenging you today as followers of Christ to start thinking about your defense of the faith and why you believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe even go to the point today where you'll start writing it down. Why? Because first off, I can tell you, listen, the Spirit can impress upon us, can give us the words that we need at that hour. But listen, but if we're not reading God's Word, and if we truly haven't studied, if we truly don't know why we believe what we believe, then you're still, you're still going to struggle. Do we care so much about leading others to Christ that I will spend the time and the energy of truly thinking out my belief and why I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior to the point that I will write it down and commit it to memory and then trust the Holy Spirit to lead me and how to present that when the opportunities occur. Now you see where I'm going? Stephen gave this wonderful, wonderful presentation he listened, he hit the audience where they were. He knew he was talking to Jews. And so he made sure he started in a way that would resound to them and start at something that was common. He started with Abraham. They, would, they got that. And so where you start may depend on who you're talking to. Maybe you have to ask them a few questions. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you think there's hope in Jesus? Well, let's start off. How much do you know about the Bible? Do you even believe that it's real? Maybe you start there. But listen, Stephen was not a preacher. He was not a pastor. He was one of the ones chosen to take care of the people of the church. And still yet, it is Stephen here. Not a Billy Graham, not a, not a, a Paul. A Stephen. Who's giving out this wonderful wisdom in his defense. I challenge you to read it and think about how you would do the same if you stood before a jury and had to defend yourself as to why you believed in Jesus. So here's something I want you to take from that part of this. Our defense should be intellectual, complete with facts and historical proof, but also must be led by the Spirit. Just saying you believe is not a proper defense. Now here's one that comes up. So I was watching a video the other day of Vadi Balkum and uh, and in that video, he was talking about uh, some of the problematic issues we have as Christians not being able to defend our faith and also not being able to defend specific issues that, is, uh, that is, is really pronounced in our day. And one of the number one things that you'll find today, right, we know there are issues of race, right? And the church has historically in the past not done well at all. When it comes to race relations. And what I mean by that is this. I could take you all through the Bible Belt in the South. And segregation was huge. And segregation 
Some preachers even allowed segregation to happen in their revivals that they were holding. In other words, there would be a section for those people of color and a section for white people. Listen, Billy Graham was one of the ones in the, in the 60s that said absolutely not. If I'm going to come down here and hold a crusade, it, whoever wants to sit can sit where they want. I will not come be here. I will not preach. I will not hold a crusade unless it's completely open to anyone. The problem is there are many churches that did not do that. There were many well-known speakers, preachers that, that, were, that were known nationally that did not do that. That is a black eye on the church, folks. So there are things that the church has not done well in, and we need to be honest about those things. So race is an issue today. Homosexual um, issues are also huge in our day. Huge. And that's the one Vadi Bokum was talking about in this particular video where he says this. The average Christian does not know how to defend the scriptures when it comes to that issue. And specifically, there is one argument that is made time and time again. And that Christians, when they hear this one thing that they are challenged on, a lot of times they go silent. They don't know what to say. They hem hauling around and they stutter and all that kind of stuff. So what is it? Here is the argument that the world likes to make when it comes to uh, about homosexuality. They will say this. Well, Jesus whom you say you follow, Jesus never spoke about homosexuality, so therefore it's really not an issue. Because if it was really an issue, like you say it was, then Jesus would have spoke on it. Has anybody ever heard that before? It's a very common thing. How do you defend it? I'm going to share with you how to defend this one real quick. All right, because Vadi lays out a three-point pattern, and, it's, and, and Sal and I were talking while we were watching it, like I have said Pretty much all three of these things at some point or another, but he does it really, really well because he's much better at it than I. But he says, listen, I will tell you right now, Jesus absolutely did speak upon that topic with clarity and with absolute assurance. So let me just share one instance with you. So he gave three, here's three reasons of why that is inaccurate. So if you're challenged about Jesus not speaking on this topic, here's the three point quick defense that you need to have in your arsenal. Number one, Jesus absolutely did speak about it, right? He spoke out on homosexuality because he spoke specifically about marriage. Are you with me? In Mark chapter 10, verse 5 through 9, let me just read it to you. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. Because he was asked about divorce, by the way. In verse 6 it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here, he clearly defines marriage as what? between a man and a woman, and the two become one flesh. He absolutely spoke about it with 100% clarity when he defined marriage. That is point number one. Point number two is this. They say Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. Well, he didn't actually say man relation with man. No, he clearly defined the, 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 the marriage. He clearly defined marriage and it's between a man and a woman. But listen, how can you separate what Jesus has said in the Gospels from everything else that's being said in the Word of God? Because point number two is this. You cannot separate what God has said from what Jesus said and from what the Holy Spirit says. Why? Because these three are one, the Bible says. Amen? 
These three distinct persons are in one, and listen, they will never conflict with each other, and one will never say something that the other does not say. So it is declared that when God writes in Leviticus that man shall not lay with another man as a woman, and when it's said through the leadership of the Holy Spirit through Paul in Romans that they gave up natural affections for those of man with man and woman with woman. Listen, when those things are said in Leviticus and Romans, and also what Jesus said in Mark, they all three bear record together when one says it, they all say it, and you cannot separate that. So whether it's in Leviticus or Romans or anywhere else, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelations, listen, it's Jesus saying it. Because the Bible says, John says in, in uh, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus always has and always will be here because he's part of the Godhead. So number one, Jesus did spoke about it because he defined marriage so clear that no one could argue with it. Point two, it doesn't matter where it's declared in the scripture, Jesus said it. And number three is this. You can't take a picture from here and a picture from here in the scriptures and make a bunch of little different stories the simple fact is, from Genesis to Revelation, is one story. One. It's one story of a loving God and a wayward man and the redemption through the sacrifice of God's Son. That is the redemption story. That is Genesis to Revelation. It's all one story. You cannot separate one part from the other part because it's all makes a complete narrative from the beginning of the world and its creation all the way to its end and destruction and those who are in Christ living and reigning with him forever in that city that John saw coming down. It's all one story. You cannot separate different parts from other parts. So listen, next time you hear somebody say that, well, Jesus never really spoke about homosexuality. He absolutely did. Now, I just covered one topic for today. But hopefully the idea is to encourage you, to excite you, and to inspire you to consider your defense of the faith. And for you to truly think about the things that are facing us today in this world and then being prepared through your study of God's Word and through the leadership of the Holy Spirit to be able to share with others that God is real and that He absolutely loves you. Are you ready to give a defense? By the way, the end of the story is this. Don't worry about the reaction. You see, you cannot give a defense with worrying about how they're going to react about it. Now, Peter said to make sure we give a defense and do it with love and grace. Right? Or he actually said gentleness and respect. You give your defense with gentleness and respect, but without worry about the repercussions or the reactions of some people. Because we see here in this story, a lot of times we want that fairy tale ending, right? You know, the fairy tale ending, ending, 
where, where Cinderella ends up with Prince Charming. You know what I'm talking about? Where Snow White wakes up from her, you know, whatever. Right where the guys in the white hats win. But let me ask you this. Do you want the fairy tale ending as God says it, or do you want a fairy tale ending that meets your narrative? Because a lot of times we think about the ending, we think the ending is when we're laid out in front of everybody here in a big box. That's not the ending. If I think of the biblical ending that all Christians should desire, it's this. When God is done with me here, that I'll be whole when I get to there. Because you're going to see that this, this story, it went tough. Oh, it's tough. Back to Acts chapter 7. I know we're running a little late. I'm not going to apologize. Let's just keep rolling. Verse 54 says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. The King James says they gnashed their teeth. Where else do you see the gnashing of teeth occur? Hell. Where he says they'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud, loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Could you, now listen, let's stop there for a second. Does that remind you of kids in a sandbox? I'm not hearing you. Isn't that what it sounds like? Don't tell me about Jesus. They stopped their ears. And rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. By the way, they didn't wait for the Roman government to help him out with this guy, did they? Remember with Jesus, they got the Roman government to participate in this thing? And they got them to do the execution of Jesus Christ. Here, they just run upon him. It says, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. A lot of us were hoping at the end of Stephen's defense, they would all be like, oh, I get it. We want to follow Jesus too. That would be a beautiful ending. But that's not the ending Stephen got. But I go back to my quote of Elizabeth Elliot. It's our job to be obedient. The results are up to God. But don't think for a minute that something special didn't happen that day. Don't think about that for a minute. Because something did happen that day, because when they laid their garments at a certain man's, young man's feet. By the way, the word they used there for young man means man in his prime. They laid their feet at a young man named Saul, who we know as Paul. And in Acts chapter 22, when Paul is right back where Stephen was, Paul talks about Stephen in his defense. So listen, there was something done special that day. Something was done special in the fact that there was a young man named Saul who was there and this touched him. And then when Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, his life was greatly changed. And then Paul, a couple chapters later, is going to be standing in front of the same folks giving his defense. And in his defense, he actually calls out Stephen. And so listen, I may be long gone before something I said takes hold or maybe helps someone. That's up to God, I just to be obedient. But I do want to point out something real quick. It says that Stephen looks up and he sees, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
Now in Matthew, I think 26 and Colossians 3, we see, we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, right, making intercession for all those who call. But this time Stephen looks up and Jesus is standing. And I read through some commentaries and, and I like David Guzik kind of the best. He says, you know what? Maybe Jesus was standing in solidarity with Stephen. In other words, Stephen, you're taking a stand. I'll stand with you. Isn't that kind of cool? That the God of all creation will stand with me? Anybody ever stood and felt like you were alone all by yourself? There's been some times that I stood all by myself and was just wanting a person or somebody to say they love me and stand with me. Here it looks like Stephen's alone, but he's no more alone. He's got all of heaven. He's got all of heaven with him, and Jesus is standing. But then he goes on, he says, maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe, maybe Jesus is standing as a standing ovation to the heart and the backbone that Stephen is showing this day. I kind of like that one too, don't you? To think that Jesus is standing in, in solidarity or to think that Jesus is standing in an ovation. He says, or maybe it's this. Maybe Jesus is standing so that he can give a defense for Stephen. Because the Bible says that when we leave this walk life, we will stand in judgment. And you know, when the defense attorney gets up to defend you, he stands up. Maybe Jesus was already to his feet, ready to receive Stephen and says, Father, he is one of mine. I have imputed my righteousness to him so that the blood I shed covers his sin so that I see nothing but righteousness standing before me. Isn't that what you want Jesus to do for you? I believe it was all three. I believe when we take a stand, Jesus takes a stand. I believe, as the Bible says, that listen, that the Bible says that when one, just one comes home, that heaven rejoices. That when one person comes into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that heaven rejoices, right? When, when that one sheep is found, Think about what Stephen is doing here and taking this stand. I believe Jesus is standing with him. I believe he's applauding him. And I believe he was ready. Ready to say before the Father. Because as Stephen saw this, they stoned him. And I love how it says, and when he said this, he fell asleep. And I believe Jesus was already at his feet to receive Stephen. And stand for him before the Father. And saying that he's righteous because of what I did on the cross for him. Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Now you get to rule and reign with me over everything. But I love what Stephen said as he closed his eyes right before he went to sleep. Father, forgive them. And do not hold 
this sin against him. So listen, here's what I want you to remember about today. The world is going to hate you. and They're going to do all manner of things against you. And they'll try to assassinate your character. Be ready for it and expect it. But secondly, always be ready to give a defense for your faith. Study. Write it down. Be prepared. The world we live in today wants facts and figures. And there is so much information that is available. Biology cries out that there is an intelligent design. Know some of those things. Be ready not just to say that, you know what, it's because I believe in him and I love him. That's absolutely wonderful. But other people here are dying and go to hell. How about we take a little more time and put a little more effort into our defense of our faith so that when others hear that they may truly ponder on these things and be moved to seek him for themselves. Another thing I want you to remember is don't worry about the results. It's all up to God anyway. And lastly, always remember that you never know who may be watching. So it's always important to always live in the attributes of Jesus Christ. Would you stand?